everyone. Welcome to Semester 4, Episode 9 of our Just Admitted podcast, where former deans and directors of missions give expert insight into the complex college admissions landscape. I'm Christine, a college admissions counselor and YSTAR counselor at Ivy Wise and former assistant director of missions at Yale and Georgetown. And joining me today is my friend and fellow um, Ivy Wise colleague, Nikki, who is an executive functioning coach. In this episode, we are going to share advice on how parents and educators can prepare their students for self-advocacy. Nikki, it's always good to chat with you. You are uh, full of knowledge and good tips (laughs) and advice on so many different things. And I know that self-advocacy is one of your field of expertise. Um, And I know that you have lots of good uh, insights to share. So maybe I was thinking like a first thing would just to define what is self-advocacy. I, as a parent as well, often hear this um, at our schools. Um, Students need to be self-advocates. And this is for you know, students as young as elementary school and all the way through high school, college and beyond as adults, we all need to be self-advocates. So maybe you could just share some thoughts on like what it is, uh, when it can be used and why is it so important? Why are we talking about Mm self-advocacy today? Yes, good to see you too. I'm very excited to be talking about self-advocacy because it is so important. And it is a word that people can just throw out pretty casually. So what it really boils down to is that self-advocacy is recognizing what you want, what you need, and what you value, and then asking for it. So kind of those two different pieces of it are recognizing what you need to happen and then getting it for yourself. And it is so important, not only for students, but also for adults, right? Throughout your life, it's crucial because that's the way, you know, when you're younger that you learn how to set boundaries with other students, how to advocate with teachers if you feel like you've been wronged in some way. And then as you get into college and start to branch out on your own, really being able to take care of yourself and be independent and get what you need. Uh, that's a great definition. I, um, even though I've been in the counseling field for many years, I don't think I've actually heard it this succinctly and this helpfully, you know, kind of what you need, recognizing that, right? Because sometimes I don't even think we necessarily recognize what we need or what we want, especially with younger students. Um, it's hard to know, you know, they're still um, growing and developing. So it is um, part of the cognitive process, socio-emotional learning, as well as academic learning, right? Um, so so it taps into, I feel like, all these different spheres um, to, to kind of understand what are things that would help me and how can I get what I need um, mm-hmm. specifically. So um, you started to share some examples of just what it may look like, um, but maybe would you um, just kind of based on your expertise and experience, kind of walk through um, a little bit more specifically what would it might look like for, uh, for instance, I'm thinking even for myself, I have a second grader um, who was, you know, who is, I guess, young elementary, um, what it might look like for someone who might be in middle school, what are some situations, um, high school and college just so that we can um, even just learning to recognize, right? So part of it is the first step is recognition. So um, any thoughts on that aspect? Yeah. And at any age, right, one of the things that's really important is that you have started when they're young Mm -hmm. so that it is easier for them to recognize when something feels off so that they know that it's time to Mm self-advocate. And so for kids that are in elementary school, that could be situations where, 
you know, maybe a kid is bullying them in the class and they don't know what to do about it, or they feel like a teacher doesn't ever call on them, right? That can be really upsetting for someone at that age. And so as a parent, when your child is that young, right, the first step is probably going to be helping them recognize that something is off because sometimes kids can kind of internalize that and act out or seem sad. And so really checking in what's wrong, helping them figure it out and then working with them to really think ahead. Okay. If this isn't working for you, how about we all go in and talk to the teacher together Mm -hmm. and start modeling the process in that way. So that by the time they're in middle school, it can be well, have you tried reaching out to the teacher first already? Mm-hmm. Why don't you try that step? And then I'm here for you if you need me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then by the time they're in high school, right, even more independence, hopefully they can recognize what's wrong on their own and know that they should reach out and lean on you for that backup when it feels over their head. Mm-hmm. And then by the time they're in college, they can really do it by themselves. Yeah, I, I see that progression. I, um, again, um, from the counseling perspective, as well as from kind of a parenting perspective, um, thinking about my elementary, um, you know, um, students. So, you know, when he comes home and he may not understand something that's being taught in math, you know, so kind of, and then he comes home and he's confused. He doesn't know. Um, we're not sure how to help him because we don't know exactly what was explained. Um, so even just, um, kind of talking with him, you know, through the idea of, so you're confused with something that you learn in class today. You're not sure about the concept. So I, as a parent could one, try to explain it to him in class. Um, and two, and maybe this is actually the better thing in terms of self-advocacy is to say, um, so I think the issue here is maybe you don't really understand a concept. Um, maybe what you could do is talk to your teacher. Maybe um, there's a good moment when the teacher's walking around to the different tables and desks and they're looking at students' work. Um, and you could say, hey, Miss, um, Miss So-and-so, uh, Mr. So-and-so, I don't really understand this. Could you, um, could you like help me a little bit? Kind of giving the language to the student too. Like, what would you say to a teacher? Like, how do you even like articulate like what you're looking for, right? Um, as parents, we could in the background maybe help a little bit so that it's not just me doing it as a parent, um, we could alert to the teacher and say like, well, my, my student is struggling in this concept and he's going to reach out to you directly in class. Um, but it would be really helpful, you know, if, um, if you could spend some time helping him to, to kind of grasp the idea a little bit. Um, so kind of walking through that as I think the progression goes on, like you described ultimately, um, as a college counselor, when I'm working with high school student, um, parents should not really you know, be the one to communicate with the teachers anymore. The student has learned, hopefully over the years and practicing that, uh, recognizing I really lost in math class or I did not understand that particular lecture. Um, and the first thing to do would be asking the teacher if I can come earlier before school or during office hours to really seek help. Because in college, when I've taught college students too, is um, teachers, you have to be really proactive as a college kid. If you don't know something and you don't reach out, um, Usually professors don't, you know, I mean, they're not going to be hands-on as, you know, high school teachers or uh, middle school teachers to say, okay, are you having trouble? Can I help you? Um, That you have to really proactively do that. So kind of learning from earlier on, having the language, recognizing, um, I do see how it can really continue um, as a student age um, into, you know, different stages of their education and even beyond in the professional world. So 
Absolutely. And it can be really hard for parents not to reach out, right? You right. see your kid is struggling. You're like, mm-hmm. I want to fix the situation. Um, and it is really important that it's a skill they develop for themselves. Right. And so when they are younger, that could be reaching out to a teacher beforehand saying, Hey, here's the situation. They're going to bring it up themselves mm-hmm. so that they're prepared and they can react positively. And also at home, once they've recognized, okay, this is actually the issue. This is how I need it fixed to role play and to rehearse that conversation to mm-hmm. say, imagine I'm Miss Smith and you're you, what could you say to me? And mm-hmm. to really let them generate their own ideas first yep. and then maybe go through and help them out a little bit, but it gives them an opportunity to brainstorm and to practice. Mm-hmm. And then for you to know that they have some ideas and for them to know that you're really going to still be there to help them, even if right. they do branch out on their own. Yep. Yeah. And that importance is really kind of the, the trying practicing my um, fifth grader. Uh, it's interesting. We, um, she was um, struggling a little bit with some of her English response um, paragraphs. And um, a few weeks ago, we were, I mean, a couple of months ago, we were talking about that and she was very hesitant to speak with her teachers. And I said, you know, I, I, it's easy for me to email her, but I think you really should do it. I could help you draft an email of what to say to your teacher asking for help. Um, she was very hesitant. I think she was shy and she didn't want to bother her teacher. She didn't know what to say. Um, and so we kind of talked through and I let her go at her own pace. Um, just the other day, she mentioned that kind of a similar situation happened again. They had another reading response and um, the teacher had some remark and she this time thought like, okay, I, I think I'm going to go speak with her during office hours. And she went ahead and I see the progression that kids sometimes have their own um, timing that it may not have been the very first time incident that, you know, that you're speaking with a child, but kind of helping them through knowing that you are there for them, but they really, I mean, I can't go into the office hour for you. You really need to do it yourself, knowing that you're um, helping them to know that you're there, but also encouraging them step-by-step and kids. I think some kids are, um, could dive in immediately, but others like my daughter, took a few weeks, a couple months to kind of come to a point where she's like, Oh, I, I think I really do would really, you know, I could really benefit from talking with my, my English teacher about how I can write, um, a more, you know, um, a deeper analysis or, you know, write in a way in that would meet ex- her expectations. So allowing students to kind of develop on their own timing as well, um, while being supportive. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, um, super helpful. Like what you said about role-playing, helping them develop the language, um, and also let them know that, we're, you know, as, as parents, as educators, we're there to support them, um, but they have to be the ones to do it. That's self-advocacy, the self part, right? That they, they're advocating for themselves. Absolutely. And that's a beautiful example of how you can help them prepare mm-hmm. by walking through it really, really explicitly the first mm-hmm. time, really practicing it. And then it gets easier and easier. And sometimes, you know, kids might start to self-advocate and then have kind of a negative response to Mm self-advocacy. Maybe they over-advocate or they're advocating for something that isn't allowed in the classroom Mm -hmm. or a teacher is really scary. Mm -hmm. And so in those moments, it's also important for parents to figure out what part of this is really positive. How do we really positively reinforce self-advocacy in an effective and appropriate Mm way? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And to know that um, sometimes even if you didn't have the most 
positive experience. That's kind of a, a data point, a one experience out of many, the range of experiences not to be discouraged because you could have a great teacher or maybe the teacher is trying to be helpful, but um, because of their personality or whatever, the student didn't quite receive it the way that, you know, the teacher may have intended. Um, but to know that um, sometimes it's not a, it's not a perfect experience, mm-hmm. but it's still a step toward working on um, self-advocacy, which is a long-term uh, development. It's not something that happens immediately. It's not just the one-time thing, but it takes um, many experience. Even sometimes negative interactions could, mm-hmm. um, in the long run, prove to be helpful as a learning experience as well, to kind of see it from that perspective. Um, Absolutely. Too. And even a good time as a parent to say, I know mm-hmm. how you feel. When I was in sixth grade, I tried to self-advocate and this happened. Mm-hmm. And to show that even if there's one maybe what feels like a failure of self-advocacy, that's part of the process and part of the learning curve. Exactly. That's really, really good. Yeah. What do you think about um, sometimes when um, kids who um, may be struggling a little bit to even, I mean, going back to the kind of original recognizing um, what they're looking for, maybe, um, you know, how they're uh, reasoning uh, where their values may be like how what would you suggest to help probe maybe the child is not very talkative some kids are just you know they're very good at you know talking out loud their feelings or emotions or um, but what about the kids who may um, be more internalizing um, some of what's going on how as parents and educators can we draw out uh, what they need and help them to understand this is what you're feeling. This is what your, um, these are the needs that you have. Um, so what are some questions that you think might be good or helpful mm-hmm. in your experience for that situation? Yeah. Right. That's a very, a very real experience that a lot of parents have. And I think that, you know, like many things, depending on the age, different questions may be mm-hmm. more or less effective. So with a kid in elementary school, it could be something as simple as you're hungry what do you want for dinner? Right. And then Mm -hmm. when they say what they want saying, okay, let's get it right. Encouraging that if they ask for what they want, there can be Mm -hmm. positive results Mm -hmm. and starting a little more on that level. And then working up to what did you enjoy about school today? Why do you think you enjoyed it? What do you think would keep you engaged in other classes that you enjoy a little less Mm -hmm. and segueing in on a positive note? Mm -hmm. And then with older kids, right, especially those who have been internalizing for a while, it can be trying that positives or if even, you know, maybe they're not succeeding in a class and they can't figure out why. It's really acknowledging that it can be difficult and saying, what do you think might be getting in the way? Or what do you think feels more important than studying for the test in this Mm -hmm. class and going that approach to help them really figure out what's happening? Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Yeah, just kind of questions. Sometimes um, I feel like, I mean, speaking personally as a parent, I feel like my tendency is to jump in and kind of fix the situation. But um, in the long run, kind of teasing out you know, these, through these questions and these conversations, um, that could be really helpful for, for the student. I, um, sometimes I also think that environment, the the setting of asking these Mm -hmm. questions could be, um, could be helpful if, if it's done naturally, like if you're driving somewhere together, um, we all have these car moment conversations where it's like, Hey, what's, you know, how you, how was school today? Or, you know, what was a highlight, a low light rather than kind of, uh, it doesn't need to be, um, like, Oh, let me pull the kid aside and sit down Mm -hmm. in a very kind of, 
you know, face to face, you know, could just be very naturally um, in, you know, kind of the throughout the course of the day. Uh, these moments where uh, we are together, we're not like face to face in a meeting situation, but that we could talk with our kids um, about, you know, how they're feeling and, you know, what aspects would it be helpful for them and help them to kind of brainstorm how they could ask for, for help as well. Yeah. Those car moments are big. And if you notice it's when we go shopping or if we get a manicure, go to eat, they open up more, really trying to encourage that. Mm -hmm. And even if there is a time where you say, you know, tell me about your day, what was good today? And they say, no, I don't want to talk right now. You can actually still encourage self-advocacy by saying something Mm -hmm. like, I hear you and I respect that. So Mm -hmm. what time do you think you might be more in the mood to have this conversation and let them make that choice? Yeah. Part of it is that agency, right? Like sometimes like my, I definitely even see my own kids that um, when I'm ready to talk may not be when they're ready to talk. So kind of allowing them to know that I'm here for that conversation anytime um, helps because when they realize like, oh, I, I do think it would be helpful for me, even the recognition like, yeah, now I don't want to talk about it, but I could come back a little bit later when I am ready to you know, to talk more about that. So yeah, that's for sure. Having um, that home base. Oh yeah. For sure. Um, what about some other um, examples? We, I think we speak a lot about um, kind of in the academic context, mm-hmm. obviously, um, but what are some kind of non-academic contexts that you can think of where self-advocacy could be important um, or even drawing from your own example? I'm mm-hmm. thinking through my life too, like what are those moments where um, maybe at the time I didn't realize it was self-advocacy, but in retrospect, um, yeah. that, you know, that's what it was. And that was really helpful for me in whatever situation I was in. Absolutely. It's something that comes up a lot, actually, with extracurricular activities mm-hmm. for people who are on teams, for people who do shows, right? Maybe you're going out for the lead in a musical mm-hmm. and they say, nah, you're going to be in the chorus and you really don't want that. And so self-advocacy could be saying, I really think this other supporting role could be a good fit. Can I please try again? We're mm-hmm. sort of thinking about, could I do something else that might be a little bit more interesting? And how do I ask for that? And even in social situations with friends, right? Mm-hmm. When you think about something like peer pressure, what yeah. stops a kid from really falling into peer pressure? Being able to recognize, no, this is not okay with me. And to advocate for themselves, to leave a situation, to say no, to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's actually really good. Would you speak a little bit more on the um, the peer pressure social? Because I feel like that's um, a very significant component um, for our, you know, um, some of the students that we work with um, who are in middle school and and the kind of high school range where um, that's a you know constant. I would say that you know if I ask my middle schooler that you know academics is important, but that social <laughs> aspect of going to school or playing on a sports team that's just as big, if not the most important component of, you know, their date. So um, any suggestions kind of on that social front? Yeah. And I think truly, right. It's so hard because at that age, there is so much confusion about what do I value? What is important to me? And so really helping build up the self-advocacy young, encouraging executive functioning for things like planning out social versus academic time and sticking to a schedule And then knowing, right, these social situations where maybe the peer pressure could be come out to the movies with us. I know you have the test tomorrow, but this is going to be fun. And they're afraid that, you know, they're going to lose a friendship if they don't Mm -hmm. go. And that's really scary. 
So when those situations happen, right, maybe they choose to go to the movies, maybe they don't. Really talking it through afterwards to think about what led you in that direction for the choice. How do you feel about it now? If it happened again, would you respond differently? And if so, how could you do that? Mm-hmm. And to really learn from probably the mistakes that they do make and their successes both. Yeah. To maybe reflect on these experiences and to say like, okay, maybe that one time when your friends ask you to hang out, you really do say, hey, I've got something, I've got to finish my English paper or I had to finish my science report. Um, I'd love to, maybe we could maybe suggest another hangout time that might be mm-hmm. rather than just saying, no, I can't hang out Friday, but hey, Saturday afternoon, I'm actually really good. So offer an alternative um, and actually have students. I, I know it's easier for me to say it, you know, but, um, but you know, if they do follow through to kind of um, after the fact to say like, well, how did it feel? Like, did it, was it as bad as you thought it would be? Oh, actually it wasn't, or maybe they were available, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, during the alternative time that you proposed and, you know, and you guys actually did get hang out, but, um, but by speaking up, you actually try to prioritize what you needed to get done at that moment. Um, but still have that friendship, you know, um, by hanging out at a time when it is more, you know, convenient for you. So. Right. And I think kids can very much get stuck in this very black and white world. The mm-hmm. option is either I go to the movies mm-hmm. or I don't. And then there's this whole other world of gray where it can be, Mm -hmm. let's go tomorrow instead, or you go without me this time, but let's see another movie together next Mm -hmm. week on Tuesday and sort of encouraging them to think about all of these different perspectives. And even to say, take out a piece of paper, take out a pen, write down every different option you can Mm -hmm. think of, of what you could ask for, pick your top two and weigh pros and cons to really concretely think out that part of the process. Mm-hmm. I, what you just said um, kind of uh, made me think that sometimes on the other side, right, is um, there is a careful balance, especially I think in social relationships where um, one, I think it's about kids, um, encouraging kids to speak up, recognize their nice need. On the flip side too, is if you're, um, if someone not always insisting on your own way. So in that peer situation too, because you mentioned that, there are multiple perspectives to kind of see if you're the friend who is trying to organize something and someone's saying, oh, I'm really sorry, I can't uh, do it right now because I have to do something else. It's also good to develop that kind of empathy to say, mm-hmm. oh, okay, well, there, I, I really want to do it now, Friday night, but my friend I, whom I really want to hang out with, she can't do a Friday night. She thinks Saturday is better for her. So can I do, you know, just kind of being open minded too mm-hmm. and um hearing all the different perspective part of i think that self-advocacy it's reciprocity too right it's yes. the, the person who's speaking up but also the other person sometimes we could be on the other side mm-hmm. someone's trying to self-advocate um in front of us right um and it could be a peer-to-peer situation and to develop that perspective or have that openness to hearing other views and not always being so insistent. Um, So self-advocacy could be practiced um, in the other direction as well. Absolutely. And we could do a whole other podcast on compromising (laughs) and learning how to hear no. (laughs) But it is like that sort of expert level of self-advocacy is Mm -hmm. when you're recognizing what are my values right now, Mm -hmm. the answer might actually be making my friend feel good. Mm -hmm or being empathetic towards this group of people, in which case advocating for yourself and what you need is actually doing what they want because that's what's important to you in that moment. 
Yeah, that's such, um, yeah, that's so, such a good uh, thought. And that comes with practice, right? It starts mm-hmm. with the the second grader or like the little kids on the playground and all the way go through school and college and in adult life. We all have different circumstances now in our professional lives and our personal lives as grownups, right? Where we have to both speak up, but also to um, hear the other perspective when presented, you know, on the other side of um, someone who's, mm-hmm. you know, advocating for themselves and with us. So, um yeah, that's great. I, I I think it's just so key and and, and important. Um, any other advice you might have for um, you know kind of parents or educators who might be kind of thinking about how can they support their students um, in terms of um, you know becoming um, good self advocates, like kind of that, um, not just always insisting on their way, but yeah. um, but do it in the right way and um, using their voice um, in in ways that are compelling and appropriate um, as well. So, any other kind of examples or tips that you may have? Yes, and it's not one that people love to hear, but the truth is, sometimes we have to let them make mistakes. Maybe your kid tells you they're going to self advocate for an extension on the paper. And you know that they've already gotten to, they don't have accommodations. The teacher's not gonna give it to them. It's saying, okay, good luck with that. Let me know how it goes. And then maybe they come back and they're really upset, right? And that's that's sort of that area where you do learn the balance and when to speak up and when maybe not to. And when they're younger and when they're older, the, the sort of repercussions of those mistakes can be different as well. And obviously you don't want to let them make, you know, a terrible life altering mistake, Mm -hmm. but most mistakes they're making at that age, they can recover from and probably learn from. And so it takes a lot of actually restraint on the parents part to know that their kid is going to make a mistake, right? And maybe it is that they're over self-advocating with friends and they keep trying to change plans to suit their needs best. Mm -hmm. And you can say, how do your friends feel about that? How do you think it's impacting them? but not saying, you know what, you should just do what they want this time, let it go, right? It's something that they're going to pick up on their own eventually. Mm-hmm. And then when they're ready for that conversation, it's having that conversation. That is, I mean, so good. It's it's just so hard, I, you know, to let go and let, let kids, I think, make mistakes. It's, um, I mean, in some ways, I, as an adult, as a parent, as a counselor, I really have to, that's a skill to be learned mm-hmm. as well. It's to say, this is not, um, I, of course, ultimately, you know, I want the student or my child to do well. Um, and if there is something that's absolutely critical, but it's really kind of thinking about these small moments, right, of, I think you said it earlier really well. It's not um, these failure quote, and I put in air quotes here, um, where there's it's there's a learning opportunity, and sometimes we learn best when we don't get what we want, right? Um, I, I, I liken it to kids playing sports. Um, there's so many great things you can um, get out of playing a team sport or just sports in general. One of the things is just actually losing when you, especially like a particularly hard loss in that moment. It's like, oh, that feels like awful. Like I worked so hard. I didn't, you know, I didn't get that, but in some ways it's like learning that Brazilian aspect too, is I came so close. I worked so hard. I did not win, but what can we learn from that moment? Like, what can we learn from, um, up, you know, times when we think we failed, um, and kind of recover from that and, and move on to the next, um, the next step, the next time, and how can we do it differently? And, and parents and educators kind of allowing students to figuring out um, those moments 
um, encouraging them, uh, you know, reinforcing those small moments, um, but also letting it happen when it doesn't always go the way they want or we want. That's that's hard. It takes a lot of restraint. Yeah, but it it's, it's it's important. Yeah. It's work that parents have to do too, because otherwise when someone gets to college or to the workplace afterwards, mm-hmm. they're going to be in a tough situation. And, mm-hmm. you know, even self-advocating to go to HR, if you're in the office later in life or to go to the Dean of Students to file a complaint, right? Learning those skills are going to serve you really well mm-hmm. and letting them make mistakes is helpful. And also knowing maybe there are some times where, a failure in air quotes or Mm -hmm. self-advocacy being denied isn't okay. And Mm -hmm. when do parents really need to step in? And that's Mm -hmm. more important. Um, You know, for example, sometimes I work with clients who have IEPs Mm -hmm. and teachers are not following the IEPs, which are actually Mm -hmm. legally binding documents Mm -hmm. um, for a disability. And so a kid can try to self-advocate. And if the teacher still isn't listening, right, that's a moment where parents Mm -hmm. do need to get involved. Right. And it's hard to sometimes know the difference between those things. And that takes some work for parents to recognize what's important to them and what they want versus what they need. Um, Do you have um, some helpful kind of just guidance on how to decide on those moments? Like, I think you're great. um, Your example of an IEP is a really good one, right? Because it is pretty important. Um, And sometimes you might have, um, so on the one hand, you might have parents who are like, ah, we should advocate for everything. And that may not be the right thing to do or trying to fix it for their kids. But um, there might be parents who are hesitant, right? So because, well, what if the teacher gives a bad grade to my child? If, you know, if we speak up too much. So how can can you maybe help even parents discern what would be like the time to step in? Uh, one is um, the right time. You know, we as much as we want kids to build um, self-advocacy and, and resilient all and learn from their mistakes. But when should a parent perhaps, um, you know, kind of come into the picture a little bit more mm-hmm. um, versus, well, let's, you know, maybe this is a good learning moment to kind of quote fail. Um, so what would be yeah, yeah the distinction? I think it's it's not always an easy thing, but something that can feel helpful is to consider, is there a pretty natural consequence to this or does something feel sort of like a very extreme reaction? So if mm-hmm. a student says to a teacher, you know, I really struggled with the homework, I think it would be just really helpful if I could redo it mm-hmm. and take an extra day. And the teacher says, no, your grade is what it is, right? That's a pretty natural consequence. Mm-hmm. You didn't do the homework correctly. You get a bad grade. If the teacher were to say, how dare you ask me that? Go to detention today, right? And the kid Mm -hmm. said, I don't understand. Can you please explain it to me? And the teacher said, no, leave, right? A really Mm -hmm. extreme example. That might be a time where a parent says, okay, they've tried to self-advocate. That was not a natural consequence. That was really Mm -hmm. unnecessary punishment. They're trying really hard and they're not getting through to someone in a position of power. And now it's time for me to step in. Mm -hmm. That's really good. That's a really good distinction because I sometimes, you know, it's in the moment, it's hard to kind of decipher like or or discern, right? Um, Like what's the best course as a parent? Do I play a supporting role and just let the student learn the lesson or actually I need to step in, right? Uh, And then be an advocate for for the child as well. So that's that's always hard to, um, it's hard to balance. Like I think a lot of times Mm -hmm. parents are learning that too, right? What's a good learning moment versus when, 
one, I need to be an advocate for my, my student as well, because um, self-advocacy perhaps in that particular moment is not effective or it's not working at all, you know, um, and students are at a disadvantage or, or um, even if there's adverse impact because of that. Yeah. And if you know that your child is someone who is normally a good self-advocate, mm-hmm. even turning it to them sometimes and saying, sounds like you've really advocated for yourself and it's not going the way you hope is now a time where you think it might be helpful for me to step in or do you want to keep trying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really, that's really good to kind of talk it through, right? Mm-hmm. Think through that. Any other um, thoughts or just final advice that you think might be have, um, helpful for, for our listeners kind of thinking through the issue of self-advocacy? I think that as parents are really starting to consider how to encourage self-advocacy to prepare their students for being great self-advocates, something that's pretty key is that they themselves start to recognize, how am I doing at Mm self-advocacy? What am I modeling to my child? What am I thinking about? And notice times throughout the week when they're self-advocating or maybe when they could be more. And once they start to do that and they're a little bit more able to recognize the patterns, it's easier to teach to your children. Because as we know, kids do not love it when we say, you know, do as I do, not as I say. And so we really want to sort of walk the walk as well as talk the talk and have more of an understanding of when can it be really hard to self-advocate? What can get in the way? And what can I do to help my child with that? That's so helpful. That's really helpful. Yes. So lots of great things to think about with self-advocacy and lots of different strategies for parents to really increase those skills for their children and to help encourage that starting at a young age, doing whatever they can to really, you know, whether the child is three, whether they're 10, whether they're 18, and sometimes even beyond then they need a little bit of extra help. But at any point, just really doing their best and also for parents to know, have I done all that I can to advocate for my child? And when do I actually need extra support, be it a counselor, be it the principal, be it a therapist, right? And sometimes we all just need to call in for a little bit more support. Nikki, um, thanks, Nikki. You're always so insightful and helpful to kind of talk around these issues and something like self-advocacy that um, at the end of the day, I love what you said about um you know, just us parents, grownups um, being models. Uh, we don't always think uh, about advocacy in our own day-to-day lives, but that's also a, a great step in helping um, our students or our uh, our children um, being self-advocates is to think about our own uh, ways that we're advocating, um, you know, compellingly and, and appropriately um, in our various day-to-day tasks as well. So. Mm. So hopefully people have gotten a lot of good information about self-advocacy and that just about wraps up our our episode for today. So thank you all so much for tuning in to Just Admit It. Catch up on all of our previous episodes by visiting our podcast page and be sure to bookmark our knowledge base for additional help with navigating the complex and competitive admissions process. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok for more resources. And stay tuned for our next episode in which we will discuss all the different types of colleges and universities. Thanks everyone.